0: Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Man, God is building this church, isn't he? Amen. Amen. You know, with that, there's been several times, at least three, that somebody has made a comment either to me or someone else that when they're here they sense that the Holy Spirit is alive. There's one person who told me they were across the street. They were drawn to this facility. One person who said, you have no idea what it's like to walk into a church that doesn't feel like a morgue. Someone said, it's different. And I say that to you in all humility to say, God is building his church. And listen, I want, I want you to hear me when I say this. My, my greatest fear is that we miss what God's doing. May it not be. I was reading this week, a, um, I guess it's a sermon, it was a manuscript of a sermon from a pastor from the 1950s. He was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. What he was writing about was, or really his sermon was about, was how God puts together the church for the purpose of his name to go out through the church. And he talked about Chicago in particular and and just honestly the depravity and the sin and the corruption and just the horrific nature of Chicago even back then. And he said several things that were just really interesting as he thought about what that implications of that for his church and how God has put some saints together, some Christians together to be a light in the darkness. But he made this comment, and I want to read it to you, and it's stuck with me this week. He said this. He said, the fact of the matter is that we have the message. He says, we have the message, but we have not the authority and the power to shake a city for God. And as I read that, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about that. And really what he went on to talk about was we have the message but there's a lack of power in us. Paul tells Timothy, he said, there's a form of godliness that denies the very power of God. Church, listen, I'm going to tell you this for a reason. Don't miss the message for why I'm telling you this. Last Sunday we had our highest attendance that we've had in over 10 years outside of Easter. Praise be to God. But listen, it's meaningless if we have a form of godliness that denies the very power of God. We can fill the room with a bunch of religious duty that will deny the very power of God. What I'm praying is that God is filling the room and He's filling our hearts, empowering us by His might, His power, so that it shakes our city. But here's what I just came to grips with this week as I read that statement about lacking the power to shake the city. Before God shakes our city, He's got to shake our church. And before He's going to shake our church, He's got to shake our hearts. It begins with us. Church, I don't, I don't know what God is up to. I think he's on the move. He's always been on the move for all of history, and I think he's doing it again, as he always does. If you've seen the news this week at Asbury College in Kentucky, there's a revival breaking out. It started in a chapel service Wednesday, and it's been going nonstop ever since. That's where the Jesus movement from the 70s began. God is on the move. I think God is on the move in our church. I think God is on the move in our city. I think as I talk to preacher friends of mine in their churches, God is on the move. And wouldn't it be like God that he gave me and us a message this morning that I've entitled The Road to Revival before I even heard about what's happened in Asbury? The road to revival. And here's why. Psalm 85, six. the psalmist understands the need for this. He says, will you not revive us again? Church, what's happening in your heart this morning? Do you need God to revive you? My prayer is that he would shake us this morning. James chapter four, James chapter four. May God awaken us this morning. I wanna read, we're gonna study verses seven through 10, but I'm gonna backtrack to verse four to help us understand the context, because it's kind of a complete thought. So last week we covered these verses up until verse seven, one through six, and then today, seven through 10. So right in the middle of it, verse four, we're gonna start with this. You adulterous people, it's always a good place to start, right? You're welcome. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace, more to follow as we said, grace upon grace upon grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, verse 7 through 10, what we're going to study today. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then he finishes this humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. So we understand the context. James calls them an adulterous people. He said the reason you have conflicts, the reason you have strife, all these things is because of your inner desires. And they're waging war within you and they're pulling you away and you have cheated on God. You're an adulterer. But he says that God is a jealous God. He longs for you. He wants you. He's got wide open arms for you. And he invites you back in because he's a jealous God and he's got grace upon grace upon grace. And he pours it out upon the one who's humble. And so this is the context in which we enter into these next Few verses. And it's interesting, in these four verses, James gives 10 imperatives, one right after the other. He just nails them short statements, imperatives. Church, I believe, as I said, that this message, I've, I've called it The Road to Revival because without these, without what we're going to discuss, we will never see revival in our hearts and our lives. So the first one is this, we need to assess our allegiance. James tells us to assess our allegiance. Now, let's be honest, James has already called them out for their lack of allegiance. When he says you're an adulterous people, what he's saying is you've cheated, your allegiance is is gone, you've let go of who you're called to, to love and to follow and you've turned away from him. But James has some sobering truth for us as we assess this in this verse. Notice verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Because you have cheated on God, because you're an adulterer, you need to submit yourself. Because of God's grace, you can submit yourself. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. But then he also says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's what I think God is trying to teach us this morning about our allegiance. It's not neutral. It's not neutral. There's a sense in which there's a battle raging, that there is a war taking place for your soul, for your life, for your spouse's wife, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your neighbor, for this community. There's a battle raging. Too often we take just a stance of neutrality. I want to remind you, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells us, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, in the context of what James is talking about, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? The reason you're having quarrels and fights, you think it's about the issue with the person. What's happening is there's an enemy trying to to create disunity and create problems. We've missed it and we've become neutral in our understanding of what's really happening around us. So as we assess our allegiance, as we take an assessment of our hearts and where we're at, there's really two options. And what James is revealing to us, there's either God or there's the devil. We're either submitting to God and resisting the devil or we're not. There's active statements, submit, resist. These are, these are postures of, of action, They're a, a call to do something. Listen, when we hear this word submit, that's where we get the word submission from. Can we just say that in our culture we've been trained to not submit? This is what God's called us to. I think about the wrestler. Any wrestlers in the room, I'm not a wrestler. I will wrestle my son because I can beat him. There's, <laughs> coming, there's coming a day when I won't be able to and I know that, so I take him while I can. But the point of wrestling is you take the person and you get them to the place of what? Submission, where they tap out. What is, what is the act of submission? It's stopping, resisting. Do you see it? In other words, when, when James says submit to God, what he's telling us is stop resisting God. Come on, church, let's just sink in. We have a posture of resistance to the things of God. We don't want him to control our life, so we resist him. But notice what James says he says, submit to God and resist the devil. Church, watch this. When we aren't submitting to God, that means we are actively resisting God, and when we're resisting God, that means we're actively submitting to the devil. It's not neutral. There's no middle ground. We can't straddle the fence. Satan is either having his way in our life or he's not. And James says you need to assess your allegiance and you need to submit to God, take Active steps of submitting to God, surrendering to him. It means he reigns supreme. Richard Baxter said it this way, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. In other words, it's yes, Lord. It's obedience to him. And church, can I just say that we will never experience revival. We will never have God shake our hearts and our lives and our church and our community until submission happens. It'll never happen without submission. Let Let me just throw out a practical implication of this. Very basic. One of the first steps of obedience that God calls us to when we place faith in him for salvation is baptism. It's baptism I can't tell you how many people I meet who simply just say I don't think I want to be baptized you are resisting God you're not walking in obedience to his commands you're like well it's not that big of a deal it's in Scripture it's God's plan his design it's a beautiful picture because watch this listen this is this is this is how I am this is how I operate I can mentally assert things all I want but until it leads to action it's all just a game in my head See, we can claim faith in Jesus but if it's not going to lead to action where's the faith listen this morning we had a nine-year-old baptized in the first service you saw the two baptized in this service If elementary age kids can walk in submission to God, why can't we? It starts with baptism. How are we gonna walk in obedience to the hard things in life if we're not willing to walk in obedience to the simple things in life? See, when we're resisting God, we're falling prey to the very schemes of the devil in our life. I, I, we could use baptism, we could, you, you name it, right? There's, there's a plethora of options as to how we don't submit to God, isn't there? And you know, let's just be honest, you know the truth in your heart of what the Holy Spirit is convicting you of. Listen to what John says over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 21. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. See, this is when we start resisting God, is when we know what is true, what is right, but yet we, I don't know, maybe later, but you don't understand, God. Here's all these circumstances. It's just the way I am. We could go on and on and on. James is saying, you know the truth. Now you need to submit yourself to God. And in so doing, you resist the devil. Now let's talk about this resist the devil thing. We don't talk about the devil in church often, do we? So I'm pretty excited about this. (laughs) The enemy is real. Now, let me, let me be very careful. The enemy is not behind every rock, okay? But the enemy is real. And the scripture is very clear here. He says, resist the devil. This word resist is to stand against. A, it's a defensive posture, which I think is really interesting. Notice he doesn't say, flee the devil. He says, resist the devil. And here's why I think he says that. Because watch this, if you're in submission to God, you're in the right place satan wants to get you out of the right place he wants you to quit submitting to him he doesn't want you to commit murder he just wants you to say god it's not that big of a deal i'm going to live my life for myself which then potentially can lead to a place of murder see when we're in submission to god we're in the right place and so it's just a resistance it's a resistance it's a resistance the danger is when we've lost submission to god We find ourselves out of step. So this idea of resist is this defensive posture. The mission of the devil, the mission of Satan is is to do this, to separate God and man. So we're in the right place and so we resist him so we don't become separate in fellowship from God. See, he's very subtle in his ways of doing it. He's lulled us to sleep, let's just be honest. We've become... Passive. Men in the room, can I just say that one of, the, one of Satan's tools in our lives as men is just to be passive. To just step back and watch. And when we're asleep, he's attacking. So we resist. We stand firm. Let me, let me help us understand some ways that we resist the devil. Jesus is a picture of this. We know that when Jesus went out into the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan in very specific, tangible ways in Matthew chapter four, and he resisted the devil. Now you're like, well, that's Jesus. Jesus has got some powers that I don't have, but if you notice in Matthew chapter four, we don't have time to look at it if you want to study it later, you'll notice that what Jesus does, what he offers is what we can do as well. He uses three words, you ready for it? It is written. And what Jesus does is when there's a specific temptation from Satan, he says, well, it's written in the Word of God, and he lays out some scripture to say, you're wrong, God is right, I'm resisting you in that way. And what does the devil do? He has no authority, no power over that. Church, we've got to be a people that know the Word of God so we can resist the schemes of the devil in our lives. We can speak, it is written, and he will flee, the scripture says. In other places, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Says we're supposed to put on the armor of God regularly, daily. Like, like this is a, this is not just a one-time thing, and we're good. Like it's it, we actively are resisting Satan. So it's on the screen. You'll see some of them, the belt of truth. The truth girds you. We we are a people of truth. We are in a society where there is a lack of truth, and in the lack of truth, when 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 there is no truth, craziness breaks out, doesn't it? No wonder there's brokenness, and this is what's happened. Satan has. Just got people to believe in in the lie that there is no truth. So we gird ourselves with the truth. It strengthens us. The breastplate of righteousness. Listen, church, don't miss this. Your righteous standing before God has nothing to do with your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ in you which means that it covers you. That means when he says lies about you and that you are no good and that you are worthless, you say, no, my righteousness is in him and what he's done, not in myself. It goes on, the shoes that we put on, shoes of peace, the peace with God. Church, you have peace with God if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You stand in peace with God, and it is a sure footing that cannot be shaken. You cannot be moved from that peace, so you have peace with God. You stand secure. The shield of faith, when you have faith, when you believe in what you can't see and trust a God that you can't visibly see but you know is there, who's moving and active in your life, when those fiery darts that Satan throws at you, the darts of lust, of doubt, of envy, of de- desires, and all the things that he throws specifically because he knows your weakness, you have that shield of faith and say, I'm not going to believe in that, I'm going to believe in what God says about me, and I'm going to walk in faith in that. You have the helmet of salvation. You put on this helmet of knowing that your salvation is secure. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Nothing at all. And so you are firm and you are sure, you are secure in your salvation. Church, can I just ask you this morning, are you secure in your salvation? You can't resist the devil if you're not secure of your salvation. This morning in the first service, a lady, sitting right there she walks up in tears and she says I don't know if I'm saved I said let's do something about that and so she prayed to receive Christ so that she could be sure of her of her salvation what about you do you know Do you know do you know Jesus the helmet of salvation he goes on the sword it's the Word of God that we have is active it's living it's sharp And then Paul just finishes it up with this. Just pray, pray, keep praying, pray. It's a defensive posture. We're praying, we're resisting the evil. we need to check our uh, allegiance. We need to assess our hearts, James says. Are you submitting to God? The next thing he teaches us, back in James 4, verse 8, that we need to run to Repentance. See, as we assess our allegiance, we recognize that we are adulterers, that our allegiance is not where it needs to be, and so what do we do in that? We run to repentance. Notice what he says, verse eight. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is a promise, this is good news, church. Can we just rejoice over the fact that it says that if we draw near to God, he's running after us? He's gonna draw near to you? This picture of returning to God. Remember, the people that James are writing to are already believers. And what he's saying is on a daily basis, submitting to God, you need to draw near to God, you need to return, you need to recognize that you've drifted away and you return back to God. It's a picture of repentance. It's returning, drawing near to him. Hosea twelve six helps us understand this. He says, so you, by the help of your God, return. And hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Listen, this returning, this drawing near to God is more than just saying, God, I'll do better next time. You ever said that before? It's not, a, I'll do better next time. It's a, Lord, put me in your presence. May I know you personally. May I just abide in the vine as John says. May I abide in your presence. May you you just minister to me. May you pour out your grace upon me. I am nothing, I am weak, I am an adulterer. I need your grace. I need your power, I need your help and obedience. Draw near to God and it says he will draw near to you and again the beauty of the context of this. He's just called him an adulterer. Listen. When the cheat comes back, it is embraced with opening arms and it's not just a waiting, it's a chasing after. This is who our God is. See, we've resisted God, we've said no to Him, but yet grace upon grace upon grace. You notice the order Of what James is doing with these imperatives in verse 8 draw near to God he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded in the Old Testament it was cleanse your hands purify your hearts then you can come into the Holy of Holies but when Jesus died on the cross that curtain was ripped in two you know what that means it means draw near to God period I can't draw near to God I know my heart I know my mouth, I know my mind, I know my hands, I know my action, I know my motives, I know all these things. God would not have me as I am. See, these are the lies of Satan. But what James is reminding them is you resist the devil, you submit to God, and in that you draw near to him, you run to him in all your filth. Listen, when was the last time you cleaned up to get in the shower? We go to the shower to get clean, don't we? We run, we draw near to Jesus because it's at the cross that his blood was shed to wipe away your sins, to purify your heart. Listen, here's the reality. James is teaching us. You can't wash your hands. You can't cleanse your heart outside of the cross. And this is where he draws us into. He longs for us to be there. And he says, come to me. Come to me. And then... In that, our hands begin to be clean. Our hearts become pure. Why hands and why the heart? You ready for it? Our hands are the things that we do and our heart are the motives behind why we do it. And what James is saying is God wants you to draw near with your whole self. The danger for Christianity today Is that we have good hands serving Jesus, but wicked hearts far from Jesus. See, we can put on a show, we can do all the things, but James is saying, No, I want your, God wants your heart. He wants your life. The opposite is true. We can have right hearts, but selfish hands. And when we draw near to God, all of a sudden, our heart and our hands become aligned with the very mission of God, and that's when he begins to shake us, and then he begins to shake our church, and he begins to shake the world around us. See, this drawing near to God is a call to repentance. What does Jesus say that he is in scripture? Anybody know? He says, I am the what? The light of the world. In him, there is no darkness repentance is taking what's in the dark and bringing it into the light and the reason we don't find ourselves actively repenting is because we want to keep it in the dark but it's when we bring it into the light that jesus christ And his power and his might and his Holy Spirit transforms us and cleanses us and purifies us. And he takes the filthy and the dirty and the unclean and the impure and the nasty, and he says, it's forgiven. And by his blood and the work of Jesus Christ, he cleanses you. It's a beautiful thing. So the last reality for us on this road to revival in our hearts, Is this we need to see our sin we need to see our sin and what I mean by that is we need to see our sin for what our sin is notice verse 9 he says this be wretched your translation may say grieve and mourn and weep or wail When was the last time that we did this? Can we just be honest? When was the last time that we looked within and we saw our sin and we became a grieving, mourning, wailing people? The reason we don't is because we don't see sin like God sees sin. It's just another thing for us it's a no big deal kind of situation but what James is helping these believers of this early church to understand and what he's calling us to is if we want to see a movement of God it starts first when we see the sin in our own life and what it is that it is sin against a holy God Second Corinthians 7, 10 says, for godly grief produces a repentance. Do you know that until you see sin for what it is, you will never have a posture of repentance in your life? You just won't. And when you don't have a posture of repentance in your life, you will never find yourself drawing near to God and submitting to Him. It's necessary. What would it look like, church, if you began praying this in your life? Oh God, allow me to see my sin as you see my sin. What would happen? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this. He said, go and read the history of revivals again. Watch the individuals at the beginning. This is invariably the first thing that happens to them. They begin to see what a terrible, appalling thing sin is in the sight of God. They temporarily even forget the state of the church and forget their own anguish. It is the thought of sin in the sight of God. How terrible it must be. Never has there been a revival but that some of the people, especially at the beginning, have had such visions of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin that they have scarcely known what to do with themselves. We've got to see our sin. When was the last time you were broken for the sin in your life? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this moment of recognizing our sin can lead us to a place of not knowing what to do with ourselves. James gives us the answer. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Earlier, in verse 5, 6, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we see our sin, what do we do? We humble ourselves and we lay ourselves at the foot of the cross and say, woe is me, as Isaiah said. I am unclean, I am a sinner. I'm in desperate need of your grace. And his grace pours out. Church, I wonder this morning if there's been a time in your life where you've experienced repentance what I want to do is the band's gonna come out and I, I just want to have a have a moment this is this is gonna be different I want us to have a time of just repentance I don't know, I don't know how else to say it of, of, of practicing what we just talked about now I know you're freaking out right I'm not passing a mic around for everyone to confess their sins. This is between you and the Lord. And what I want to do is I just want to invite us into a a moment where you're doing business with God, where you're truly assessing the allegiance of your heart. Are you resisting God or are you submitting to God? And then run to repentance because of the sin in your heart. Life And God will, as the scripture says, lift you up. He will exalt you this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Right where you are, you do business with God. Jesus said this to some religious Jews who thought they were better than others. He says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance is when we turn away from resisting God and turn to submission to God. Thank you. Part of repentance is that we turn from ourselves and we turn to God. Here in a second, the band's gonna lead us through a song called Christ Be Magnified. I want us to end our time of confession of just doing business with God with looking to God and declaring who He is. But here's my challenge to you. Before you stand and you start singing, is there anything that you need to Do in obedience to what God is showing you. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe you don't know for sure that you're saved, that you've got eternity secure, and you wanna shore that up. Maybe it's something else. It's hard to magnify God without submitting to God. I'll be down front, Pastor Casey's down front, Pastor Ricky, several of us, During this song, come grab us and say, as that lady said, I don't know that I'm saved. I need salvation. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe you've been not submitting. You've been resisting. And it's time to step in obedience to that. But you respond as the Lord leads this morning. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.